few years ago, I participated in what's called a potato drop. If you don't know what a potato drop is, it's when you hire a company to drop 10,000 pounds of potatoes in a parking lot. I coordinated this event, and so I found the company, and we found the particular Saturday, and there we are, all of our volunteers, at 6 o'clock in the morning waiting for potatoes. And sure enough, the truck comes, and it starts to back up. Beep, 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 beep. And all of a sudden, the back of it gets higher and dumps 35,000 pounds of potatoes at our feet. And our job is to break down the 50,000 pounds of potatoes into individual 10-pound bags. Now, you can imagine, as soon as the children saw a mountain of 75,000 pounds of potatoes, they began to climb the mountain because, after all, that's a lot of potatoes. So all of us, we all found our spots on the 100,000 pounds of potato mountain. And I am so happy to tell you that by the end of the afternoon, we had delivered over 500,000 pounds of potatoes to the local community. Now, I know what you want to ask me. Were the potatoes russet or sweet? (laughs) They were russet. I love a good story, and I love a story with a lot of land yap, which is a little something extra for details. So, were all the details in my story exaggerated? Maybe. Maybe not. Were all the truths in my story exaggerated? Maybe. Maybe not. It's pretty unbelievable. Another unbelievable story. One year ago today, on Easter Sunday, the entire world was under a quarantine. Students were sent home to do school virtually, and offices began to cancel meetings and go to something called Zoom. And people began to fight over toilet paper and Lysol wipes. And they used the Lysol wipes to wipe down the produce they were going to eat. Restaurants closed, countries closed, retail shops closed, and movie theaters became kind of an endangered species. And somehow we were told not to touch surfaces, paper, or people. And all of a sudden, for a year, we just talked about wearing our mask and being socially distanced. Now, when we tell that story to our great-great-grandchildren, they're going to ask the same question you did about my potatoes. Did that really happen? Is that really true? That's the exact question that brings all of us here this morning. I would venture to say in the collective hearts and spirit of every single Christian worship happening on Easter morning, that same question is circling in the air. Because when we hear that Jesus died, went into a tomb, the tomb was empty three days later only for Jesus to, I don't know, 
be raised, and now we have eternal life and unconditional love and forgiveness. When we hear the Easter story buried deep down somewhere in our soul, there's that same sweet, quiet spirit saying, did that really happen? Is that really true? You see, sometimes when we think about Jesus, we're okay with Jesus healing the paralytic. We like the story when Jesus gave sight to the blind man. And Jesus turning water into wine, that's just fine for us. And we're okay with the Red Sea parting. We're okay with Noah building the ark. And we're okay with David hurting the giant with a big slingshot. Those stories we're okay with. But the story about Jesus dying and being raised three days later and there's an empty tomb. And again, we have eternal life. I'm not so sure about that one. Today, we as a Christian people, we tell the best story that we have. But it's the most unbelievable story we have. Because like my mound of potatoes and like the story of the pandemic... Whoever's telling the story or the details of the Easter story, everything changes depending upon who tells it to you. This morning, Charlie, our production director, he read to you the Easter story as told by John. And according to John, there was one woman at the tomb. If we let Matthew tell us that story, there are two women at the tomb. If we let Mark tell us a story, there are three women at the tomb. And if we let Luke tell the story, oh my goodness. Luke actually names three women and says, oh yeah, there were other women too. So it could have been four, it could have been five, it could have been six. The number changes. I like this story of John because of its simplicity, because of its beauty, because of all of the different personalities that actually were at the tomb. I don't know if you heard it, but we have a runner. Did you hear that we have a runner going to the tomb? I don't know if he's a marathon runner, but he was running a sprint that day to get there. We have a guy that's just kind of in his routine. He's steady, and he gets to the tomb, and he looks in, and he makes sure he knows what to do next. And then we have another person who's just taking a moment, and she's just having her moment of grief, and she's weeping. And it's in her moment where then Mary sees two angels appear. And then after the angels come, then a gardener appears. And when the gardener says her name, then she realizes it's actually Jesus. And now we have Jesus appearing after the resurrection for the first time. And Jesus appears to one. If you keep reading, though, if you keep telling the story, you realize that Jesus appears again later that night in a locked room of disciples. Let's say there are about 12 there. And if you keep reading, if you keep telling the story, you realize Jesus appears again later that night in another room with even more apostles, including Thomas. Let's say there are about 20 there. And then if you keep reading the story, if you keep telling the story, you know a week later Jesus is going to go to the beach and make breakfast for his friends. So Jesus appeared to, let's say, about 30. 
And if you keep reading this story, and if you listen to the way Paul tells it, years and years later afterwards, the story has even changed again. So let's read what the story becomes those years later, according to Paul in 1 Corinthians. Paul says, Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers and sisters at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died. And then he appeared to James, then to the apostles, last of all as to one untimely born. He appeared also to me. So he appeared to one, then 12, then 20, then 30, then 500. It's like my mound of potatoes. The more you tell the story, the greater the number gets. And what feels like a life that will be without Christ actually turns into a life full of appearances by Christ. There was a monastery. And it was just outside of a really large town. And at one point, this monastery was thriving and growing, and people would flock to it for baked goods and worship and retreats. But this particular time, the abbot, the person who ran the monastery, he had made the decision to close it because no one was coming anymore. And his friend who was in town, the bigger town, his friend heard the news that the abbot was going to close the monastery. And so he went to visit his friend. And he said, is it true? Are you really going to close the monastery? And he said, yes, I have to. No one's coming anymore. And so his friend said, I have no advice for you. But abbot, know this. Christ is with you. Six weeks later. The monastery was booming. People from all over were coming to us to buy whatever the kitchen was making. And people were lined up to get into worship so much that they had to add worship services. And people were coming for spiritual retreats. And even new monks were coming to train and learn at this monastery. And the friend in the city, he came back to see the abbot who ran the monastery. He said, what in the world has happened? What did you do? And the abbot said, I just told him what you told me. It's like, oh, what did I tell you? What was that? I just told them Christ is with us. And all of a sudden, without one detail, the whole story changed. When I told them the one detail of Christ is with us, I have seen the Lord, the entire story changed. So what were the 500 people in Corinth doing when Christ appeared? What were the people at the monastery doing when Christ appeared? They were running 
They were doing their routines. They were having a moment. They were grieving. And it's in those moments of normal routine life when Christ appeared. Friends, we are the next 500. We are the ones to change the detail and change the story. We are the ones that are supposed to say now, I have seen God. And it's a detail that you need to know because it changes everything. Because if we're the one to make that proclamation, then all of our stories are different. Instead of telling a story about huge political divisions in our friends and in our families, with a detailed change, they become conversations about humility and forgiveness. And those times, those confessions of adultery and stories of divorce and news of death with a detailed change of Christ is with us, they become stories that are life-giving and stories of new birth and stories of eternal life. The times we talk about well-established racial injustices and the conversations we have about identity issues and any time we talk about the highlighted problems of socioeconomic injustices and food insecurities when we change a detail that Christ is with us they can become stories of reconciliation and stories of acceptance and stories of love and of food and of mercy any story of doubt with a detailed change that God is with us today becomes a story of incredible faith. There was a bishop, and this bishop, she decided to go to Bosnia. And so when you go to Bosnia with a bishop, you have to be oriented. There's a bunch of training that she had to go through. And so she did. She went through all of her trainings. And she learned all of her rules. Things like, you know, don't talk to strangers. You know, don't go in a stranger's house. Um, don't eat anything anybody gives you. Never leave your tour guide. You don't know Bosnia so please stay on the bus and never stray from the people that you know. Those are pretty basic rules anywhere you go. So here she is in Bosnia on the bus. And they're traveling. And she looks out and she sees a field. And you know what she does? She's moved by the field because there's a man in the field. And so immediately this bishop says, you need to stop the bus. And they say, no, ma'am, we're not stopping the bus. And she said, oh, no, no, you will. Stop the bus. <laughs> and so they did. They stopped the bus for her. And the tour guide said, I'm not sure what you're going to do, but I'm going to go with you. And she said, no, I must go alone. And she ran. She sprinted in the middle of the field to meet the man where he was. Very quickly, they learned they did not know each other's language. She didn't know his, and he didn't know hers. But somehow they communicated, and she learned that that was his field. A few moments later, all the faces you can imagine are on the bus, like staring at her, like, ooh, she's going to get in trouble. <laughs> she broke the rules. 
as everybody's got their face plastered against these bus windows looking at the bishop, the bishop begins to follow the stranger in the field to a house that's his. And so she follows him into the house. And she said, it is the most rundown, dirtiest house you've ever seen. And she all of a sudden starts to get nervous. And he makes her sit down. And so she sits. And then he goes over to a cabinet and opens up the cabinet and pulls something out that's wrapped in a towel. And he pulls it out and he puts it on the table in front of her. And he unwraps the towel and there's bread. And the bread is full of mold. And then he goes back to the cabinet and he pulls out a jar. And somehow the bishop understands that this jam is made from the field. That his fruits of the field made whatever this jam is in this jar. And he opens it up and he begins to spread the jam on the moldy bread. And all she can think of is, please cover up every piece of the mold so I don't have to see it. And he pushes it over to her. Eat, eat, eat. And the bishop says she closes her eyes and she begins to pray. Who knows what that prayer was like? Oh, Lord, please help me. And as soon as she closes her eyes and begins to pray, the man says, yes, see God. See God. The bishop opens her eyes and she said, it is the cleanest house she's ever seen. And all of a sudden, there is this beautiful bread in front of her and she eats. And she said it was the best bread she's ever had. And the more she tells the story, the sweeter the jam gets. So... Is the story true? Did it really happen? Is it really true? Every word of it. The more you tell the story, the sweeter it gets. Amen. Today, we have an opportunity to be at that same table the same table of the disciples, the same table around all over the world with people that we don't understand their language. We have an opportunity to share in the last meal and the meal of the victory, that there is an eternal life and an empty tomb. And so it is with that knowledge that we gather here around our communion table this Easter morning. So right now, if you would, just make sure you find your own communion elements. And as you find them, I would remind you of these words of the institution. On the night in which... Jesus gave himself up for us. We know that Jesus took the bread and gave thanks to you, God. And he broke the bread and he gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is given for you, so do this in remembrance of me. And when the supper was over, he took the cup and he gave thanks to you, God. And he gave the cup to the disciples and said, Drink from this, all of you. 
This is my blood of the new covenant poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. So do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And so on the day you raised him from the dead, Jesus was recognized by his disciples in the breaking of the bread and in the power of the Holy Spirit. We, the church today, continue in the breaking of the bread and the drinking of the cup. So please, pray with me. Gracious and holy Lord, pour out your Holy Spirit on us gathered here and on these gifts of bread and wine. Make them be for us the body and blood of Christ that we may be for the world, the body of Christ redeemed by his blood. And Lord, today... We know that the dead dance and the earth sings. So use us in ways that we may be your agents. Help us to be your face that someone else sees today. And help us that we may find our own identity in you so that others will accept. And because of your presence, they will know your love and your strength. And Lord, we confess that there are many ways that we have not done your will. That we have not done what our neighbor needs or our community asks of us. And so for those times, we say we are sorry. Forgive us. And may we have new opportunities this week before us. And Lord, may we honor all the different experiences that people have of Christ. And may we be open to those stories and open to those people so that we may learn from them. And may we be the ones telling everyone that we have seen you so that others believe. And Lord, we ask all of this in the name of your son, who is no longer in the tomb, but is risen. And we use these words of the Lord's Prayer to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. I'm going to give you a little instruction on how to open up these beautiful communion cups. The first thing you do is you open up the top layer, the top plastic layer. Don't do the whole thing because then the whole thing, you won't be able to get the wafer. So just do the top little clear layer first. If you messed it up and you need another one, just raise your hand. We'll bring you one. And then after you take off the cellophane, you can take your wafer, and then you can pull the rest of it back for your cup, for your juice. And so now I remind you, this is the bread of God given for you, and this is the cup of new life and love offered for you this Easter morning. Take and know God.
when you're finished, you can put your cup right back on the plate. And we'll take those after worship is over. May the Spirit work within you so that you may know a life of forgiveness and a life of love today. In addition to responding through our words, in addition to responding through the table, I offer you another way to respond with your gifts and your presence and your support. If you would like to give to the campus through Chapel Roswell, we invite you to do so using the ways on the screen. But this is a way that we respond and this is a way that we can be community together so that we can continue to offer worship and other ministries around campus and around this community that make an impact. And so we thank you for giving and we thank you for giving generously each, each week. And so now, may we continue to worship this Easter Sunday. May we continue by singing with our Chapel Roswell Band. <laughs> 